0: Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to Eight wod Radio here on a failure Friday after the Commanders let the Chicago Bears run and throw all over them for 40 points in a 20-40 defeat. Magic Johnson, at least Magic Johnson cares. He said after the game tonight, the Commanders played with no intensity or fire. Basketball Hall of Famer and Commander's owner tweeted, we didn't compete in the first half and got down 27-3 to heading into halftime. It was too big of a hole to climb out of, and that's why we ended up losing 40-20. to At least Magic Johnson cares. And I took a lot of shots at Ron Rivera last segment. Don't worry, I got, I got shots left in the clip here for Jack Del Rio. Because this is year four. This is year four Jack Del Rio. And to me, his defensive schemes just don't work. They really don't work. Because there is simply too much talent on paper. There is too much talent on paper. There is too many high draft picks for the commanders to simply say it's lack of talent. No, 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 no. I think it's lack of a good defensive system. This is a team that is now going nowhere fast on defense. You can't give up 7.6 yards per carry. That's absolutely garbage to Chicago's running backs especially with them getting third and long running the ball. Like, are you freaking kidding me? That was the most frustrating thing about last night. Fine, you burn him through the air. Uh, Jason Fields has a good game with his arm. But to give up 7.6 yards of carry and to let them run on third and long? Are you kidding me? You can't do that. You also can't give up 230 yards to just one receiver. You got to stop him. You got to do everything you can. And... It feels like week after week, it's the same thing. Jack Del Rio tries to play team defense, but every individual does their own thing. So either they're don't, not inspired by Jack Del Rio, or they don't listen to him, or his schemes just suck. But it's to the Cardinals, it was Zach Ertz. We all knew on third down they like to go to Zach Ertz. We didn't stop him. For Denver, it was Cortland Sutton. Couldn't stop him. Buffalo, everybody on the planet knew they were going to try to get Stephon Diggs involved. Right? How do you stop the Bills? You upset Diggs by making it impossible for him to get involved. They threw to him every third down. He single-handedly destroyed us. It wasn't even close. 37-3 to for Philly. It was A.J. Brown. And it felt like, man, with the Eagles, I get it. You don't want them to have DeAndre Swift burn you with his legs. You want to contain Jalen Hurts in the pocket. But everyone knows from watching the Eagles make it to the Super Bowl last year, their big playmaker... The guy that makes the catch to advance the ball and get them first downs is A.J. Brown. He's the guy they target in the red zone also. We couldn't cover him. We had no defensive scheme to stop A.J. Brown. Now it's D.J. Moore. And I don't understand how you let one guy, when everybody knows they're throwing to him, beat you. Are you freaking kidding me? I don't know enough about football to know why this scheme sucks. I don't know enough. And I'm willing to admit that. But I don't think Jack Del Rio knows enough either because it takes an amateur eye. Every fan for the commanders watching the game knows that the scheme sucks, right? You gave up so many yards right up the middle, through the heart of our defense, right up the gut. The scheme's terrible. How do you give up that many third down conversions easily? Easily. Chicago converted seven third downs, several of them were third and long. And you gave up a total of 451 total yards to a team that just lost 14 consecutive games. The de- you're the defensive coach. You're not coaching them defense. It's not working. Got to change something. Here are AWOD's 10 takeaways from the Commanders, 40-20 to loss on Thursday night football. Number one is I-, I really just felt like we played the most uninspired football I've ever seen on primetime. We've had some bad primetime losses. And yes, the Monday Night Massacre comes to mind, and we got destroyed in that one. But this one was just so uninspiring. To let the Bears go right down the field, not once, not twice, but three straight drives for 17 points while your offense couldn't convert a third in inches. Number two. I don't think we have talented enough linebackers, and that's messing up a lot of things. Cody Barton is not good enough to be a starting middle linebacker. Seattle got rid of him. They knew he wasn't good enough. That's why they're playing much better this year. Jamin Davis isn't making enough plays. Defensively, this defensive line is too good to be gassed by the running game, and part of that is because we don't have any linebacker help. Once you get past the D-line, you run for 10 yards. Takeaway number three, Emmanuel Forbes, It's not playing well, and cornerback is still a big issue because Fuller got beat, saint Just got beat, Forbes got beat. We put in Danny Johnson. He got beat. They didn't make the catch, but he still got beat. We have an entire hole on the defensive side of the ball. We can't stop anybody's wide receivers. Number four takeaways here on the Commanders lost. One takeaway has to be that this team had no gas left after the Philly game. And so now it tells me that Ron Rivera made a bad decision not going for two, right? Because the team had nothing in the tank. And they had three days to rest and then prep for this one. They were still gassed from that Philly game. Why didn't you go for two at the end of that game? You had to win that game if you were going to put up a stinker on Thursday night. Now your team is two and three. Takeaway number five, the offense starting slow, to me, that's because of the offensive line issues. Because we're giving up sacks and we're ruining drives with holding penalties, with false starts, and the fact that we can't block Billingsley on the Chicago Bears looks so out of shape. His fat belly is sticking through his T-shirt. He's sticking through his jersey. I mean, my goodness, he looks like Pillsbury Doughboy, but he got past Nick Gates with the ease and made the stop. Our offensive line is ruining the starts to games. Takeaway number six. Sam Howell does not care about the scoreline. He battles to the last down every week, and the Commanders are going to get him hurt because of that, because they don't block him, and they're keeping him in the game when the score is out of reach. That's on the coaching staff. Number seven, Jack Del Rio should not have a job next week. Him or Ron Rivera. Someone's got to fall on the sword after a terrible performance on Thursday night. Takeaway number eight, Bears chance at the end of the game. Bears chance at FedEx Field. That was supposed to end when Dan Snyder sold the team. It felt like the Snyder era last night. Number nine, I told you guys, Rivera still has that Dan Snyder stench. He still smells like Dan Snyder, and it's disgusting. And number 10, the defense giving up 451 yards and another 30-point performance. It's just so disgusting that I had to shower twice this morning. Because I felt like I still smelled like that poop that we saw last night on TV. Saw this online from DC Sports Dre, and I completely agree with him here. Josh Harris looked like he was having a good time last night, despite the game. I think things got serious this morning, though. Magic's tweet last night says the clock has officially started for this new ownership group to make their first major decision for the product on the field. I completely agree. Josh Harris, you can't get drunk at the game and smile anymore and then hang out on Monday and talk about all things being right. No, you got a decision to make. Magic Johnson's upset. If you really care about the pulse of the fan base, you'll understand that everybody that watched that game last night felt sick to their stomachs watching you stink it up on national television. Phone lines are open if you want to chime in. It's 833 804 833-804-0910. Still to come on the show today, I'll give you my who, what, when, where, how, and why the Commanders lost to the Chicago Bears. Plus, we got a couple of really good guests that will be on the show today. Rick Snyder will give his take on the loss at 2.30. But when we return, we'll go around the ACC with Wes Durham from the ACC Network here on AWOD Radio. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM, your home for the Virginia Tech Hokies, and also some of UVA coverage here on The Fan. As every Monday, you can check out Who's Talking? Who's Talking? Monday's right here on 910 The Fan from 6 to 7 p.m. And I want to let all my listeners know that Frank Maloney and Jim Hobgood will be celebrating Who's Talking's 500th show with a party uh, on Monday. They're going to have David Sloan. Bob Call, Billy McMullen, Jody Smith as guests on the show, and, and then a party also. Uh, so definitely keep listening to 910 The Fan here on Monday for the 500th show of Who's Talking with Frank Maloney and Jim Hobgood. But joining us right now to go around the ACC here on AWOD Radio, it's Wes Erm. What's going on, Wes?
1: I'm great, Adam. How are you?
0: I'm I'm struggling today because I, I put my heart into being a Commanders fan, and I get too emotional. I want right. to ask you, as a guy that has worked in this industry for a long time, is there any team that you still get emotionally invested for?
1: Um, no, probably not. <laughs> um, I get invested for people, uh, individuals. I think that's the the one blessing benefit of uh, of being in this a long time is you get to know a lot of these coaches and to a degree players uh, at a variety of different levels and in different sports in a, in a unique way. So I think I get invested in, you know, like when, when let's say a coach doesn't do well, I feel bad for the coach that week, you know, or whatever the case may be. And probably a handful of players that I still stay connected with. And I meet young people who are playing now who, you know, I get to know in one way or another, or who, you know, in the case of a couple of them have sought out some broadcasting advice, you know, for when their career is over type deal or, you know, that kind of thing. And um, occasionally you end up playing golf with somebody, you know, I mean, it's, it just ends up being more of a personal connection. The teams themselves, you know, in, in the the business I'm in, you want a good competitive game, Adam, that's what you're looking for. And, at the end of the day, if you have something that comes down to a last possession, last shot, last play, then that's that's good for everybody. It's painstakingly emotional for the fans, but it makes for a good broadcast typically and good television. So, But I, I still do pull for a lot of people, no question. They're coaches, players, like I said, that uh, that I am really invested in as uh, as the season goes on for sure.
0: Wes, were you in London for that Falcons Jaguars game? I'd love your a recap of your London trip.
1: Yeah, second time I've been over. Um, Falcons have been there three times. We did not go a couple of years ago uh, on the heels of the pandemic because the you know the travel was segregated from the team, and it would have been a pretty expensive endeavor. So we did the game on a on a digital feed back at the back in Atlanta um london in europe itself adam is a very unique neighborhood for the national football league it has grown we were there nine years ago for the first time and i can tell you it is a solar system difference from nine years ago there were 85,700 and some people there sunday at wembley stadium every seat was full 15 minutes before the game started uh it was an energized crowd it was an engaged crowd I think a lot of that in that particular case has to do with the goodwill that the Jaguar franchise has built in the last decade there. Um, I think, though, that the NFL, and I equate it to people in the United States with this if you know anything about the Premier League, you know that there are pockets of people that support every Premier League club, right, Mm -hmm. in the United States. And whether you're in Richmond, you've probably got, I'm going to throw out a number, you've probably got 12 Premier League clubs that have some degree of a fan base in, let's say, the Richmond market. Um, in Atlanta, I can almost tell you there's every Premier League team has a support group there. Well, imagine that in the United Kingdom for 32 NFL teams
2: because
1: hmm. it is there for 32 NFL teams. Here's the other thing. Imagine Germany, Holland, Spain, Portugal, Italy, uh, Switzerland. I saw fans from those five countries alone in london on sunday wow and so i'm telling you the nfl is expanding and growing in a way that i don't think here in the united states you can relate to unless you go i've done in this is my 20th year doing the falcons i've done three games where i feel confident i saw a jersey from every team in the stadium one super bowl and two atlanta games in London.
0: That's incredible. So it's m- more of an international game than just a London game, which right. makes a ton of sense. I mean, if you're living in yeah. Wales, you know, you're not going to see a game, so you- you'd have to travel to London.
1: Well, and it's why I think you've hear- heard last summer about the international marketing rights being awarded for certain franchises to certain countries, Adam. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, Atlanta was awarded Germany. So I think you're going to see, and there are a couple games being played in Germany this year. They're obviously the game this weekend with Buffalo and Jacksonville at Tottenham. There'll be another game behind that in London, and then there'll be two in Germany. I I think you're going to see at some point – I'm not going to tell you that I think Jacksonville's the franchise, although their history would lead you to believe it. I think at some point you're going to see somebody play half their schedule over there. Wow. Um, I also believe, too, that the number of games, with the NFL now having an imbalanced home schedule every other year, from where you play eight one year and nine the next type deal – Yeah. I think you're going to see more international games. uh, And that includes Mexico, too. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think they're going to continue to play in Mexico as successful as that game has been. But you're going to see more teams play internationally. Last year when Green Bay went, that was the last of the NFL teams that had never been to Europe. And now all 32 have been there. So I would suspect you're going to start to see more games internationally each year, in my opinion.
0: Wes Durham with us here on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline does some great work with the ACC Network and you'll be on the call for Georgia Tech at Miami this Saturday night on the ACC Network. What's your breakdown of
1: that game? Well Miami's trying to do something they haven't done in six years and that's go to 5-0 and um, and last time they were 5-0 and o, they went 10-0 and o before they lost at Pitt as everybody remembers late in the regular season that year with Mark Richt and I think this is as talented a team as the ACC has and kind of getting ready for the game. I'm, I've really been impressed not just with uh, who they are uh, offensively with Tyler Van Dyke, but but they've been pretty sharp on defense too. And they, they feel like they're coming off the bye week. They've helped themselves with some depth there. But they're going to get Branson Dean back in the defensive line tomorrow night to go with Leonard Taylor and Nigel e. Kelly and, you know, Jared Harrison Hunt and Reuben Bain, the terrific freshmen. So, Uh, Francis Maui Noah whose younger brother is the you know solar system sized right tackle who's a freshman for them is uh, is their leading player defensively from a stat standpoint but I think it's a really solid three-level defensive team and they've got they've got some difficult games ahead of them they know that Uh, coach Cristobal very candid with us this week about you know kind of the building of this football team and how different it's been in year two from year one and Adam, to be honest with you, I think Miami's kind of got its destiny in front of them. Mm -hmm. Um, They control it from here on. Now, they get Georgia Tech tomorrow night. Then they're going to go to Chapel Hill. And you can look at their schedule and, you know, the game with Florida State, the game with Clemson. You can start to see kind of how the stair steps occur here, right? And I think that's one of the things that you have to kind of be mindful of if you're Miami. You really haven't been around much of that, right? as a football program in the last while. So I think Cristobal understands it. He also hinted to us, too, that this has probably been a little steeper rebuild than people on the outside knew. And, you know, he feels really good about where they are. He said, but we're not a finished product by any stretch.
0: West Durham with us here on the Hotline covering the ACC for the ACC Network. Like I just said, you can hear him on the call for the game this Saturday. Georgia Tech at Miami and West. You know we cover the local teams here in Virginia with UVA and Virginia Tech. Let's start with UVA. And you want to talk about some kind of positives. You want to be able to say that, hey, Tony Elliott's building something in year two with this program. But the team's Mm. 0-5 at this point in the season. And really, three winnable games. JMU, one point defeat. Should have defeated NC State. Had the game against Boston College it's been a struggle this year
1: yeah it sure has and I'm sure they're disappointed in the um the 50-50 games right yeah. you just rattled off and uh you know and tomorrow's no layup either We even Mary took a loss to, to my alma mater last Saturday uh but Mike's got a really good team there they're a quality team and probably a team that's capable of reaching the playoffs and doing a little work in them but I think Tony has to be concerned with just keeping it within his camp now, you've got to be able to validate a little bit of the work you're doing. uh the Calandria musket situation is interesting yep um i uh Washington has emerged as uh, obviously the guy that can be become the playmaker for right um but we go back to the same conversation, Adam. I think we've had probably the last year or so. And that's offensive and defensive line, right? I mean, they, they're they going to have to find a way to run the ball enough to, you know, keep the quarterbacks upright, clear the pocket a little bit for them and allow them to make some plays. And that's a tough deal when you're still kind of fiddling with that and dealing with injuries and things of that nature. But, you know, again, I, I still say this about Tony and, and his challenge and mission there. This job got a lot more difficult last November. We all understand that. But it was difficult before that. It was difficult in the fact that the portal came in and there was this exodus really kind of from both sides of the ball, but in particular on the offensive side, right? And I'm not telling Billy Kemp he made a bad decision, but he might have made a bad decision, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, you you transfer out and you go to Nebraska and you're in witness protection in Nebraska. Yeah. Um, but I, I would say this, Tony Elliott's a good coach. He's put a really good staff together and I know it's frustrating and disappointing to the proud Virginia fan base, but at the same time, uh, you know, the this stuff wasn't done overnight mm-hmm. Ask Dave Clawson, ask Dave Doran, um, Mac Brown iteration one Oh at Chapel Hill in the 90, in the late eighties and early nineties. It was not done overnight and Virginia's rebuild will not be done overnight either, but I, I'm sure they are craving a win, especially after they've come so close here three times this year. Wes, over to the
0: Hokies, and I'll tell yeah. you, Blacksburg was rocking last Saturday, and, and there are right. so many Hokies fans here in Richmond, and, and it is just awesome to see the fan base happy because they were treating 1-0 in the ACC like 11-0 and after getting well, that big win against Pittsburgh, but now one of the toughest tasks they're going to face with Florida State.
1: Let me say this, Adam, and I, I said this uh, earlier in the week uh, on Sirius XM with uh, EJ Manuel and Eric McClain on our Wednesday show. There is no place. The Virginia Tech fans, when you get a one in i I've done some one in threes against one in threes mm-hmm. in stadiums, right? And you could have had a dinner party in the upper deck, okay? I mean, the fact that that thing was full to the rim last Saturday night when the Hokies came running on the field is a testament to the commitment and the passion of the Hokie fan base. It just is. I mean, look, there's some one-in-threes, and, and you know how major college football is now. One-in-three is a checkout record, yeah. right? Yeah. I got something else to do. I'll go see my grandkids. I'll go watch you know, my, my kid play, whatever the case may be. The fans that were there for a night game in Blacksburg that's just a testament to who they are, and and quite frankly, I think that crowd energized Brent Pry's team the other night.
0: Yeah, no, and, I agree.
1: Yeah, and that, and the fact that, and again, I'm I'm going to say this, and I don't, this is not meant to be controversial. If I'm Brent Pry and Tyler Bowen, I'm not changing from Kyron Jones.
0: Me neither, I'm and I, thinking, I said they should have started him to start the season. Honestly, ah,
1: uh, that's that's a hard one, and I I don't necessarily disagree with you, but it's a hard one because we don't see all the practices, right? Yeah. Yeah, um, But here's the thing. you got Tootin going in the run game. you got Drones throwing the ball vertically. Great catch by Felton to start. You know, those kinds of things, right? But here's the other part of it. Virginia Tech, I thought for the first time really since Old Dominion, and that's the game I did obviously in week one, Adam, they started playing complementary football again last Saturday. Now, they're going to need complementary football, and Bruce Smith and Corey Moore – and every really good Virginia Tech player you can think of in the last 25 years for the in Tallahassee. It's just that simple. Florida State and Miami are the two best teams in this league right now. Uh, and Virginia Tech needs to find ways to not have any unforced errors and play as clean as possible tomorrow and keep the game in front of them. The yep. one thing you cannot do tomorrow with that crowd is let them get ahead of you. Because they do have one characteristic this year in Tallahassee that they haven't had in a long time, and their best teams have had it. And that is when the wound gets cut open, (laughs) they don't quit shooting. Yeah, They they go. And I think you're going to see – I think Jordan Travis in a week off was probably really good for him. I think the question becomes tomorrow – uh, what wrinkles have they put into the pack that they you know, didn't show in the first four or five weeks, and what do they come back with? Because, again, like Miami, who I just mentioned a moment ago, the uh, the consequences get a lot heavier now for Florida State here in the second half.
0: Wes, great stuff, man. It's been a ton of fun. I
1: appreciate it. Okay, Adam, be well. See you. Yep.
0: You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. Like Elney, yeah. Welcome back. What up, what up, what up? It's AWOD here on a football Friday. You're listening to the new Sports Radio 910 The Fan. Now at 105-1 FM. If you're enjoying the show and you missed any of it, well, it's easy. You can download the Odyssey app for free. Just search 910 The Fan. It gives you the ability to rewind... Pause the show, run some errands, then pick up right where you left off. Or check out the podcast. Each hour of the show gets up on iTunes and Spotify by 4 p.m., including a best-of hour of AWOD radio available for you on your ride home. Joining us right now on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline, columnist for 106.7 The Fan in Washington, D.C., it's Rick Snyder. What's going on, Rick?
2: It's a beautiful day, they say. (laughs)
0: Yeah, were you at that uh, massacre last night? Yep. Yeah, it was I looked back over my notes.
2: I think it was the third worst first half ever for Washington in, in FedEx Field. And there was they were down 35-nothing to the Cardinals in 1998, which they only lost 45-42 in the end. So don't leave early. <laughs> uh and then they lost on the Monday Night Massacre to Philly. Uh I think they were down 30-31 nothing, something like that. Uh, back in 2010. So those are the two. And and at halftime, I went and looked at the gates just to see if people were leaving. And, you know, a few dozen, but nothing bad. The crowd pretty much stayed till five minutes ago.
0: Yeah, I mean, if I was in the crowd, I I would be going and buying three beers and then coming back to my seat. I I do think of all the games you, you mentioned there, this was the worst just because the opponent's not very good.
2: Yeah, the other two instances, the teams were about 500 that beat them. This team hadn't won a game in a year. So, you know, I mean, Chicago didn't look awful. I think their offense is emerging some with fields. Yeah, But that said, they have a terrible secondary injuries. And the team never really attacked them. I thought it was a really strange game plan, including from the middle of the second quarter on, they never called a running play at all. You know, Brian Robinson had six carries for 10 yards in the game. But they never ran the ball again one more time. Now, I know you're way down, and I know you don't have time to mess around with running plays too much, but you can't call 55 straight plays without a run. That was crazy.
0: Rick Snyder with us here on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline. And if you go to thefandc.com right now, you can hear Rick Snyder, read Rick Snyder's comment, uh, his uh, his column right there. Commanders outcoached, outworked, and outplayed, and humiliating loss to the Bears. And you called it a fireable offense earlier on my show. I I wrote a note to Ron Rivera asking him to please turn in his key card and his parking pass. I'm done with him being the head coach here. But the problem is, is, I don't think Josh Harris is going to make a move like that, right?
2: No, I mean, then you look like Dan Snyder, uh, right. like that. And that's you know, the last thing you want to do. Now, you know, here's the problem. If you fire Ron, where do you go next? You can't go Del Rio. Quite frankly, I don't think you go to the enemy, And I'm not sure the enemy wants it because coaches are very careful about becoming interim coaches. Because if they see a train wreck, they don't want that on their resume. Right. He wouldn't want to have to go on the off season with a change and be, oh, you were 2-10, you know. <laughs> no. So, what, you give it to the special teams coach, I guess, or does Magic come coach them? <laughs> uh, not, not a lot of choices here. So, at this point, you know, you, you maybe make the move at the end of a season, but to do it now is because something really bad has happened off the field. That's not going on.
0: Yeah, I mean, how about just having Jack Del Rio turning into his key card. I'm done with him coaching the defense. You know, I had a caller throw out a crazy suggestion. Why not give Ryan Kerrigan the opportunity to be the defensive coordinator? You know what? I don't hate it. It can't be worse than Del Rio.
2: That's like playing Jeff Saturday, though, as a coach. <laughs> you know, you have to re- you have to respect that these people have dedicated their lives to this job. And to just say, hey, you've had a year. Go ahead. Turn it on. You know, yeah, that's crazy. You know, I drive cars fast. Can I go play an Indy? I mean, you know, it's <laughs> <laughs> you can't do that, and and unfortunately, Del Rio's top assistant, who would have been okay to maybe jump up, left for another team in the offseason. season. So there's not an error apparent there. Right. I mean, anybody can call the plays and hold a clipboard, but, but you know, but that's not what you want.
0: Do you feel like Emmanuel Forbes' is confidence is completely gone, like I do? And look, I think benching him might have been the worst decision they could have done. I mean, you're already getting blown out; just let him keep making the same mistake.
2: Well, I said a week before that they kept uh, Sam Howland in a blowout loss to Buffalo because you got to learn through the mistakes and hard times. And yet, you just benched Emmanuel Forbes for the same thing, you know. And he has played poorly the last two games. And you know, corners, you're out there on that island yourself, and it can look ugly when it goes bad. And but on the other hand, they're like, well, let's just play Danny Johnson. Yeah. Seriously? Do you want to <laughs> play Danny Johnson over your first round pick? I mean, this draft has been a miserable bust. In the short term, nobody's on the field. You know, he was the only one playing of the whole draft group, and so maybe in a couple of years it looks different. But right now, they got no help in the off season for this team.
0: No, and I feel like they're starting to get really upset with each other inside the locker room, probably pointing fingers and blaming each other and blaming the coaching staff. And now that we have, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. But now that you look back at that Eagles game. It's obvious the guys were gassed at the end of that game. Then you force them to play overtime, and then you have three days to prep for this game. It makes me change my mind and think Ron Rivera should have gone for two at the end of that game because now you lost two games because your team had all the emotion and energy spent on that Eagles game.
2: You know, he said the players look really tired. Okay, I respect that opinion, but here's your choice. Boys... Give me three seconds on a 50-50 play that we can win this game. Win or lose, we're done. Three seconds. Or let's go play another 10-minute overtime. <laughs> Which one do you want to do? Right. Let's go now. Try and win it now. And, and he did that against the Giants a couple of years ago, and they lost. And Ron's become so much more conservative and everything. Um, you, you can look at it now and say it was a bad decision. I don't know. That's a tough one to make. But when you lose, you get sacrificed for it.
0: Yeah, but an obvious decision that was in error by Ron Rivera and, and we were talking about this with Michael Phillips, he's my new co worker uh, from Ten to Noon, Rick, here right here on nine ten the fan. And we were wondering, so Sam Howell makes that incredible play on third and twelve, somehow stays alive, you know, takes a huge hit, gets forward for probably ten yards, and it becomes fourth and you know, three, fourth and two and a half. They decide to kick the field goal. Was that Rivera's decision or Eric Bienemy, do you think?
2: No, Rivera's. Yeah, Yeah, that's what I said. No no doubt.
0: Yeah. And it was a terrible decision, right?
2: Yeah. Well, yeah, I didn't agree with it, but you're playing conservative again. So try and get three and then come back again. I mean, at one point, what were they, 21 to 11, and they'd scored. And you thought, you know, if you just – or maybe it was 28 to 11, something like that. You just thought maybe if they can go down and score and stop them, maybe get a turnover – Maybe they got a puncher's chance of pulling this out like they did, say Denver.
0: Right, but, but the,
2: then, but then they scored. And that was the end of that.
0: Yeah, but the worst part about that decision to kick the field goal was on the previous drive you score and then you go for two. So the analytics say, yeah, you went for two, you made it from twenty-four to sixteen. But then if you kick the field goal, it's it's still two possession. Well, that's why it's like it, half the time it feels like Rivera listens to the analytics and then half the time he's just free balling, doing whatever he wants.
2: That's why I call Riverbett Ron. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> so many bad decisions, Rick.
2: Yeah, it wasn't their finest hour. I gave them a bad grade on the grades.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rick, uh, Rick Snyder's flash grades. Quarterback A, running back D, wide receiver B+, tight end B+, lineman uh, D, defensive line F, linebackers F, DBs F, special teams C. Yeah, uh, the defense, that was the most frustrating thing for me is the defensive line play has not been good enough. And so, you know, I, I look back at the games and I say, yeah, Sam Howell's taken a lot of sacks, but we should be getting that many sacks with our defensive line, and we've lost the sack battle every week.
2: Yeah, the, this defensive line, once again, just it reminds me of two years ago where after the first game they lost four straight, giving 30-plus up each game. And here we are again with this. Right. Same guys, too. This unit should be... Rock hard, they played together all this time. Not just, you know, being all first-round picks, but they had played together regularly for three, four years. And yet, man, that other team just gashed them in the middle for big runs up the middle. Gashed them on the sides. You know, Chase got a half a sack. Okay, that's great. You know, I mean, it's, it's just they don't, they don't seem to be able to make the biggest plays when they need to, and that's when they leave their secondary naked and afraid because those guys aren't good enough to be on their own.
0: That's Rick Snyder. Follow him on social media, snide underscore remarks. Read his work on thefandc.com and monumentalthoughts.com. Thanks a lot, Rick. Thank you. Yep, you're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new Sports Radio 910 The Fan. Now at 105.1 FM. Phone lines are open, 833-804-0910. Call AWOD, 833-804-0910. It was a day, down. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new Sports Radio 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. Phone lines are open if you want to chime in. It's 833-804-0910. 833-804-0910. Just dial that phone number right now, and Stub will get you on the line. So you can talk to AWOD here on The Fan after the Commander's 40-20 loss, and Stub. it was a tough one last night. It was a tough one. And now... You've had to produce two misery shows in one week. It's tough, man, being a commander. Thank goodness that you're not emotionally invested. It's really nice. It's just a normal Friday for me. Yeah. It's a football Friday for you. It's a failure (laughs) Friday for me where I'm calling for everyone's heads. I want somebody to be fired. After a loss like that on primetime, I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. What the hell happened in that first half? You're down 27-3. to You're down 17 nothing in like five seconds. I blinked. I had one beer, and now they're down three possessions in the first half. Unfreaking believable. The last time I ever had people over to watch the game. I need to be alone when I watch this team play because I'm just losing my freaking mind. What happened in that first half? What the hell happened? Let's hear from Logan Thomas explaining the first half for the Commanders.
1: We just beat up on ourselves. Uh, drops, penalties. Uh, you know, the first possession, I should have gotten that first down. And we had to worry about the third and short. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just small things. So, you know, the quicker we we fix those things, the quicker we'll get back in the win column.
0: They need to fix a lot of things. Offensively, he's right. They didn't help the defense out. Two three and outs to start the game. Defensively, they couldn't get a stop. They could barely even force a third down. DJ Moore is still wide open somewhere in Landover. Still wide open. What did Jonathan Allen think the team played like? You heard this clip on Michael Phillips' show. Let's hear from the defensive tackle once again, Jonathan Allen.
1: Defense just played like sh-t. We're not a good defense right now. We got to own that, and we got to take that, and we got to be better.
0: John, how did the defense play? How did they play? How would they play Jonathan Allen?
1: Defense just played like sh-t.
0: Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. You played like you played like crap. If you want to chime in phone lines are open 833-804-0910. Let's get to my who, what, when, where, how, and why the Commanders lost to the Chicago Bears. The who? The Commanders, the two and three Commanders, the two steps forward, three steps back Commanders. As Washington has now lost three straight games. The Bills and the Eagles, that's an excuse. Those are good football teams. No excuses to give Chicago their first win in 14 games. They're awful. And you know what? We looked like one of the worst teams in the NFL. You gave up 40 points. Wow. The what? Well, the what for me is, what I don't understand is how the Chicago Bears were more mentally, physically, and emotionally prepared to play that game on Thursday night than the Commanders. That's what I don't understand. They lose a heartbreaker at home to Denver. They're outscored 24 to nothing in that comeback loss. And yet... They have to travel. They got to get on a plane. Travel halfway across the country. And they're able to get a dominant victory on the road? What the hell are you doing, Ron Rivera? The win. For me, when this game changed, it was when DJ Moore broke free for a touchdown. Oh, yeah. He did that all game long. A bunch of losers on defense. The where? Where was this game won once again? Just like it was with the Bills, just like it was with the Eagles, this game was won in the secondary. Once again, the secondary let us down. Once again, the first-round draft pick, Emmanuel Forbes, looked bad. Once again, the defensive line did not pressure the quarterback enough. Once again, the linebackers missed tackles. Where was this game won? In the secondary. How? How the hell is Jack Del Rio still in charge of this defense? How the hell has Jack Del Rio not been fired this morning? I knew last year, the second half of the season was a fluke. It was a fluke because explosive plays were still happening. Well, they, they were doing this bend but don't break, only giving up field goals. Now they're giving up touchdowns left and right. You cannot win when you're giving up so many explosive plays. How the hell does Jack Del Rio still have a job today? How does Justin Fields have all day long to throw the ball? I don't understand. Somebody explain it to me. The why. Why did the defensive line not make a bigger impact? Seriously. Why is the defensive line not making a bigger impact? We have lost the sack battle every game. Come on, man. We drafted game changers. We paid Duran Payne, Jonathan Allen to be game changers. They're not changing the game. They're just giving up explosive plays right up the middle last night against the Chicago Bears. So frustrating! I don't know what I was watching. Unbelievable. Montez Sweat. After reporters just told everyone, guess we just need to do our job better. Let's listen to the defensive end, Montez Sweat.
1: We just everybody not doing their job. We just got to play as one. Uh, yeah, we definitely got to get back in the lab, see what see what's going on. And everybody need to look in the mirror and move forward from there. Apparently, I mean, everybody just need to do their job.
0: Everyone needs to look in the mirror because everyone can blame themselves, and each other, and the coaching staff. And you know what? He's right. They're going to have to get back in the lab. They're going to have to watch the film. They're going to have to watch this embarrassing performance over and over again. And you know what? The only way you get better is if you call each other out. You blame each other for what happened here. Oh, Derek Forrest missed an assignment. Blame Derek Forrest on that play. Make him watch it 100 times so he doesn't make the same mistake again. Oh, Chase Young didn't contain Justin Fields. He got around the outside and ran for the first down. Chase Young, you're to blame for that play. They need to take accountability into each other's actions on the field. So when they watch the film, oh, and believe me, they're going to watch this film. And it's going to be ugly. And they're going to have to correct these mistakes. We've got a game, not not in seven days, we've got a game in ten days. That's 10 straight days to watch this crap over and over again and find out what the hell went wrong and what mistakes are correctable. Some of them won't be correctable. Some guys might lose their job. We might not see Emmanuel Forbes as the starting corner next week. We might not see Derek Force. Maybe it's Percy Butler. Maybe he gets replaced. Somebody, somebody in that, bou- uh, in that building needs to hold each other accountable. Ron Rivera doesn't even hold himself accountable. He just plays the blame game on other people. That's why I said I need him to turn in his key card. I need him done. I need him gone here in Washington. Appreciate everybody listening to the show today. Hasn't been fun doing a Failure Friday show, but you know what? I wanted to tell you guys from my heart how I felt watching that game last night. It was emotional, and I'm emotionally invested, just like I know a lot of the other listeners are. This fan base cares. Fans care. Does Ron Rivera care? That's my question I'll end with. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio. It's Grant and Danny coming up next from Washington, D.C.